Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode in Season 2 of the Virtually Agile Videocast. As always on the podcast, we aspire for neurodiversity and the amplification of voices that are seldom heard as well as from hearing from established thought leaders. Today's guest has a fantastic title. He is co-founder and chief visualization officer of Humble Associates. He's a fellow enterprise coach and like me, a big believer in the use of visualization techniques. I am pleased to welcome Noel Warnell to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely introduction. And I love the T-shirt, by the way. For those that are listening, you've got read books, drink coffee, fight evil. Yeah. I've got a I've got a T-shirt that just says "Fueled by hate and coffee," um, which isn't true because I'm, I'm a nice person, really. But the coffee part was true. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a Razorstorm T-shirt, isn't it? Not you know, other T-shirts are available, but other T-shirts are available. I love Razorstorm. They just they just fit me very well, so I buy them. Does that mean that you are into CrossFit? I don't. I, I'm more Olympic lifting, um, powerlifting, that sort of thing, rather than CrossFit. Oh, okay, because a lot of CrossFit type people like that brand as well for similar reasons that they make their guns look awesome like yours do right now. Skidoosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Noel, to those of our listeners who aren't familiar with your work or what you're about, please just tell us a little bit more about, about you and what, you, what you're about, your journey with Agile. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't just ask, tell us what you do, because I hate that question. Um, so, yeah, what am I about? Oh, God. Um, this week, um, I am enjoying coaching, talking about coaching and um, drawing. And I've, I've got a lot of love for my dogs today. I don't know where that's come from, but I just feel a real yeah bond with my dogs today. Um I had my journey with Agile started uh, just over, well, around 10 years ago, actually. And I was incredibly fortunate to stumble across it purely by coincidence rather than any deliberate, um, yeah, any any particular reason for me to jump into it. But I was um, working as a business analyst at the time and I took on a new contract and was put onto a scrum team and was incredibly fortunate to have a, a fantastic coach and scrum master in that team who really he, he'd been around the you know been around the block and uh, got the war wounds and the scars and you know really was coming from a place of real experience and so i was really fortunate to get a really kind of good start um from someone who was very pragmatic in their approach and very mentoring in their just general day-to-day stance um and yeah from a combination of the experience of working with someone like that and thinking when i'm grown up i'd like to be like that um and just the common sense like the light bulb for me just went on within a couple of weeks of understanding what this thing called agile is which i hadn't even heard of before um and yeah, ever since then, it's like I'm not, I'm not going back. That that just that old that stuff I was doing before. Yeah, great. It's part of my career. It's part of my what makes me who I am. But 
this new thing or new to me at the time is so exciting and just feels so obvious i want more of that <laughs> so yeah i've been doing that ever since i love it and i love the the light bulb moment i love hearing about people's light bulb moments mine was was a bit similar i'd, I'd heard of agile because i'd studied it at university and i remember my first uh, proper involvement with it there was a third party i was managing a waterfall project and a third party was delivering in, in agile and uh and yeah like they were they were saying we're delivering in iterations and it just made sense why wouldn't you want to do that and it, i just became sold ever since that was my my light bulb moment why would you want to have to plan everything to a nth degree and then it changes and then have to replan it all yeah. made no sense yeah and i think i'd i'd experienced that as well i'd experienced being part of that process of doing these ridiculous upfront plans and then never coming true and you know the whole replanning constant replanning you know one of my early contracts was for about a year and a half and i was a business analyst at the time this was before i discovered agility and was part of the scrum team and my work there i basically produced a hundred page business requirement document in you know i was there just over a year I hadn't been signed off hadn't been given to any developers there was no you know it just it was a document that was being talked about in steering committees and working groups and what a ridiculous waste of flipping money <laughs> bonkers you know that's just doesn't make sense why would anyone do that and the customer doesn't care about that either do they no no and it was for a you know a good idea which was text messages from one of the banks you know about your what was going on in your account so a great idea it was quite innovative at the time but a year later it's just a piece of paper still it's yeah but nothing nothing being yeah just doesn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> well you've had your light mode moment you saw the lights and uh, now as i understand it through humble associates you help others achieve that that similar journey yeah we try yeah absolutely so we we're lucky to we've all worked together and we've we've all had a similar journey um and so we we love this stuff and we love helping other people with this stuff um and i think what i really enjoy about working with the other guys is that we we're very we deliberately or naturally even are quite pragmatic which i mentioned earlier this you know i kind of saw that for myself in one of the first people that introduced me to agile and i just i that works it's it is really important to figure out what whoever the client is whether that's one team 10 teams you know small organization big organization it has to be what they need and what they are ready for and what is suitable for them at this point in time and a lot of the work we were doing in big corporates is just no we we know what we need we know where we are or so they think and therefore just do this thing and yeah it was getting to the stage where that was a lot less rewarding than actually being able to play with people who are coming into this and having some of those light bulb moments for themselves and you know finding a bit of energy and motivation to to try something that's new for them that is just lovely to be part of so yeah if we can if we can do that all day every day that's uh, that's the dream <laughs> sounds like the dream indeed now something i've i was being keen to speak with you about in particular because i can see i can see in the background for those that are the listening and can't see the the video here in the background you've got your your whiteboard your easel you've obviously been doing some drawings uh -huh. and visualization yeah. 
um, I've seen a lot of it about this from what you've shared with uh, with your with your social networks with, with LinkedIn and otherwise. You're a big fan of using visualization techniques, as am I. So the reason I'm keen to speak with you about it, I just want to understand from you how do you use visualize visualization techniques um, with regards to coaching, with regards to helping with agility, and mm. uh, what benefit have you seen it bring to those you work with? Mm, good question. Um... So with regards to coaching, um, I use it to help kind of set the scene at the beginning. So if I'm working with an organization and they've made a commitment that they want to provide coaching for their staff, um, for me, that's always got to be a pull, not a push. You know, it's, you know, it has to be something that people are ready for and that they want. Um, but sometimes they don't understand what it is. So the, one of the first things I did a couple of years ago when I started getting into the, the drawing was just create an invitation that was a picture that said, you know, this is what coaching is and what coaching isn't. And if you if you want some of that, let me know. Um, and that just seemed to resonate quite quickly with people. They're like, oh, OK, fine. One, that's actually quite interesting is a picture. People don't normally send pictures on email. Um, and two, I get it now and I think maybe yeah, maybe it's something that I could be interested in or could benefit me. Um, and one of the other things which for me felt very natural and easy was um, the tracking of the flow of information in meetings. So that was when I would say I kind of really got the bug because of the level of interest that people were giving to something to me that seemed so scruffy and basic. Um, but yeah, that's basically just capturing how many people there are in a, in a meeting. And when people speak, if they direct it at someone else, you just draw a line between this person directly to the other person and and so on throughout the meeting. And you get to a sense of how information is being shared within that group. Is it being shared with everyone or is it being directed all to one person? Um, and it came from Caitlin Walker's book, From Contempt to Curiosity, there's an image in there of a, a healthy meeting versus an unhealthy meeting. And I just thought when I started working with this group, it'd be interesting to just see what's happening. So I, I don't understand what they're talking about. You know, it was, uh, they're, they're in a business area that I'm not familiar with. And, you know, the context is new to me. And the content is alien to me. So how can I still kind of try and get some value and start to observe this group in a way that's that works for me? Um, but yeah, people people see you just drawing lines on a bit of paper and they go mad for it. Like, oh wow, that's so cool. What's that? Really? Oh, okay, let's uh, let's do a bit more of this. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I love about it, or from my perspective at least, is that it enables a, a visualization of data in a different in a different way. Right? You you can receive information verbally. Um, and you and you can be part of that meeting yourself, and you can you can make note of the fact that there's got conversations going on. But then when you see it on a screen or or on a piece of paper, and you can see all the lines going back and forth and where they're directed, it just allows you to visualize it differently and process it differently. Um, yeah. What what I'm keen to hear from you then, what what has been the kind of the consequence of that visualization for for those you've worked with? You've now sat down with um, people, shown them the lines of communication, the the perhaps the frequency of interactions, how that's gone about, what next? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great question. And that's that's kind of the exciting bit because it's like, so what? You've drawn some lines on a bit of paper and, yeah, we've got a healthy or an unhealthy meeting and. Um, so in when I 
one of the other things that I do is capture the type of information. So is it a question that's being asked? Is it just a conversation? Is it a challenge? Is it a joke? So, you know, are the group laughing together? And just a little simple tally like that meant that after three months of working with the leadership team, I can ask a very direct question and say, why do you have this meeting every week? What is your purpose, intended purpose for this meeting? They then say something like, oh, it's a decision making meeting. You know, we come together to you know, get shit done or whatever. Like, Great. OK, fascinating. Did you know that in the last three months you have met every week for one hour and you have made three decisions? <laughs> like, what? No, that can't be right. Like, no, it's, I've got it. I've got it. You know, I've got empirical evidence. I've got data that says that that's what's happening and there's loads of information being shared shit ton of that so actually maybe that is the purpose of the meeting and if that's what's serving you fine but if you want it to be a decision making meeting then actually you need to change something because that's not what's happening sure. that that was really powerful um it was a, a, a moment for me as well to actually be able to say there is there is a point to this kind of scribbling on a bit of paper. <laughs> Imagine it can be quite powerful, that, that you know, because you can't argue with data, can you? You can you can interpret mm. it in different ways, but you, it it takes emotion out of the equation. You can't argue with it to an ex, to an extent. I'm seeing it visually in that mm. way, and and you know that that exact example. Actually, this is we've always thought this is a decision making meeting, but actually only three decisions were made. What have we been doing this whole time? What I like about it is it's just another another way, another tool in your arsenal of continuous improvement. Right? I am such a firm believer in challenging every meeting we have to say, is it is it providing value? Now, should I even be here? So many meetings mm -hmm. people are invited to uh, out of some sort of professional courtesy. We're, we're just inviting you just so you're aware. And then there isn't the... Uh, boundaries where someone says, oh, oh, I can't not attend now. I've been invited. Yeah, I can't push back. So people end up just attending these meetings and then they end up in the meeting just working and doing other things anyway. So they're not even really adding value. They're not paying attention. How many times do you hear someone say, oh, can you just repeat that? I didn't quite catch it because you know they've not really been paying attention. They've been focused on something else. So I, I love yeah. the, I'm increasingly loving the idea of how can we continuously improve our meetings? How can we build in feedback loops into our meetings that always question, are they adding value? And I've been doing yeah. this a lot of retrospectives recently, getting the team to identify how, you know, how how much value the retrospective gave them. Could it be better? And what are the behaviors that would make it better? So that mm -hmm. they're continuously iterating on how they retro. And I think the same applies for any meeting. You could do the same for stand-ups or any, any standard agile ceremony. You can build a short feedback loop, the last minute or two in a meeting, just to give a fist of five example and say, right, was it good, was it bad? Yeah. And use that as a, a prompt for how you could improve. Yeah, totally. And you can even just take Agile completely out of that conversation. It's just we work together every day um, and how can we get better at doing stuff? You know, just regardless of what it is, whether it's a, a sprint or a scrum event or if it's just, you know, we're doing a performance review or whatever it is. It's just, yeah, that mindset, I think, is is that is the key to unlocking you know, real potential within individuals and organization. Um you obviously talk about fixed mindset versus growth mindset you know if you extrapolate that out across five ten twenty people that are working together on a regular basis then that is when things are really going to start to change mm. um i think the other thing you mentioned at the beginning is around the neurodiversity and i think that's also what the 
images add is it triggers something different for people in their brain because they have to engage a different part of their brain to process that information because it's being presented in a way that they're not familiar with. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm all for trying to do things in a different way and very rarely even do I do you know the same drawing more than once just because it's boring for me and I'm sure it must be boring for other people. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, I've used one of your retro templates recently. And oh, which one? It was Taco Tuesdays. Taco uh, Tuesday is a favorite, it's a fan favorite. Yeah. Um, and uh, the question at the end, like how would you rate this retrospective was completely alien to that group. Um, you know, they've had retros, but they've just been doing liked, loved, lacked for eight months. Yeah. Guys, this, you know, there's a lot more out there in the world of retrospectives that can really give you a bit of energy. But well, they, you know. they definitely are now. But the origin story of me creating these retros was, was quite simply, I was sick of those likes, learned, loved, sad, mad, glad, start, stop, continue, because that, that seemed to be all there were. There was there was a few like sailboat and hot air balloon, and there's a couple of visualization ones. But I thought, hang on, we can do better than this. And so I started creating them. And then, then there was a good reception to it. So I started creating more and then I found I enjoyed doing it. So it just became a thing. And now it's just something I do all the time. And what I'm what I'm really proud of is it's kind of spurred a bit of a movement for it. There's now lots of people doing the same and it's just upping our retro game. It's just, especially in this virtual world right now, who wants to be doing the same things over and over? It helps keep people engaged. And one of the most powerful things I like about it, and that's why I was keen to discuss visualization techniques with you, is for me, uh, it's just, as you said, it, it can provoke a different response by engaging a different part of the brain, uh, using a metaphor, using something visual. I was part of a, a community practice the other day, and one of, the, one of the icebreakers they did was using story cubes, where you're presented little, little cubes with pictures on them, and you use them to tell a story for anyone who's not familiar with the concept. And you can look at that, and there could be a group of 10 different people, and 10 different people will look at the same image, and they'll think of something different. Mm -hmm. yeah, the first image that might come to their mind might be something different because they, they've interpreted, you know, in the interest of neurodiversity, they've interpreted things in different ways. And that's, there's a beauty in that. Mm -hmm. So I love using retrospective templates. Um, mm. And I love using visual stimulus to, to provoke different thinking. Yeah. It's, I, I, one, of my, one of my favorite, actually, retro prompts recently, it was, a, it was the Transformers retro. I created one based on the movie Transformers or the TV show Transformers. I grew up watching that. I had Transformers bed sheets when I, when I grew up, and I'm <laughs> not ashamed of that. Um, but one of them was uh, talk about the sprint uh, as if you were Bumblebee. So Bumblebee, famously in the show, can only speak with music. So you have to convey how the last sprint was using only song lyrics or music. <laughs> and again, just, just, to, just as an abstract way of doing things, it gets people to think a little bit differently, and they tend to enjoy it as well. So. Yeah, exactly. It's just something to give a little bit, something different, something that gives a little bit of energy. And the playfulness is so important. I mean, that's yeah. one of our company values is playfulness. You know, it doesn't have to be kind of serious, boring, corporate bullshit. You know, those days are should be long gone. And the opportunity to play games and be playful and just – be okay with laughing together and getting things wrong. And it's, you know, that, yeah, there's not enough of that. And there's some people who've been doing great work in that space for quite a while now. So like Portia Tung, um, the School of Playfulness, and she does some great keynote speeches where the first thing she does is get people to stand up and do head, shoulders, knees and toes. You see a bunch of, you know, stuffy, uh, suited, middle-aged white guys typically, you know, doing head, shoulders, knees and toes. It always brings a smile to my face. 
but um yeah it's uh it's an important aspect that you know if even one person even if one person watching this goes to work tomorrow and is a little bit more playful you will yeah. get a response back to that that you weren't expecting in a positive way i promise you that and honestly it's, it's the the stories that i hear about the kind of playful side of agility that i bring in that keeps me doing it as well i i hear people tell me that you know they did this queen themed um retrospective and uh, a hard-nosed program manager who never cracked a smile told them that he liked queen and he smiled and he got involved with it it's just stories like that that make me keep wanting to do it mm. and my, my my crowning achievement with regards to playfulness at work was getting a board of directors middle-aged white guys c-suite all throwing paper airplanes around an office to conceptualize definition of done in front of everyone else and they were like what's going on or that everyone mm -hmm. the, the colleagues like what's going on they, they're all doing this yeah. just because i was bringing playfulness into the workplace and showing them that it was okay yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's important it's, it's underestimated for sure but right next next topic i'm keen to talk with you about was systems thinking because i know this is something that oh. you you've talked about in the past so how would you describe systems thinking and how how do you feel it fits in with the sort of uh, enterprise agility or the, the the coaching that you do yeah critical to both of those things for sure because each and every one of us is our own system and is part of multiple other systems whether that's your relationship with your partner your family your kids your dogs um, your work colleagues they are all systems when we talk about systems thinking it's it's about the environment well, for me it's about the environment that you're in and how you interact with the environment and other things in that environment and so what i love about this this area is that it's it's so simple and yet it's so complex so you know the, the simplicity of the idea that if you get a group of 10 people together and you find something that works and you try and repeat that with another group of 10 people that's a different group of people you're probably going to get a different result because that is a different system even though you're doing exactly the same thing and i think when it comes to enterprise agility you're looking typically at multiple teams sometimes across multiple departments different locations the system is very complex when you look at it holistically and you have to consider that in your work. You have to understand that, you know, a, a small change here is going to have an impact, you know, maybe over there and maybe not for a week or a month, but in a couple of months, you're going to see that impact. So it's really, for me, I really enjoy trying to consider the whole and the impact of the little tweaks here and there that we're always encouraging people to do for continuous improvement and seeing how that impacts how the system behaves. I like the way you've described that. And to me, I, I often describe my role as a coach is, is doing everything I can to grow that system, to, to put a system or an environment in place where people can be, I guess, their best selves, on their best day and then be supported on their worst day. I've, I've, that's a phrase that I've learned recently that I, I'm, I'm absolutely not claiming, but one that I, I'm so on board with. It very much resonates with me. And um, yeah, the whole, the whole systemic side of things, that's that's what I'm here for, just trying to systemically improve things. Now, what I'm keen to, I guess, delve, delve a little bit further with you on is sorry, how- sorry Yeah, no, go ahead. Just one thing on that, just one thing on that that bubbled up that I think feels important is just around the kind of the one-to-one the -one coaching work. So 
a lot of is spoken about self-awareness and helping people to become more aware of of their impact on um their environment and their mm -hmm. colleagues and their staff and family and so on and i think for me that is also a really good example it's yes when you consider multiple teams and so on it the, the system gets much bigger but actually even just considering yourself as a part of the system and acknowledging that any small change you make individually is going to have an impact somewhere else i think that's a really key element of coaching and actually something to be respected as well when you're coaching another individual there's um there's a, a concept I remember hearing about that I guess that's, that's linked to that and I guess I think it articulates or demonstrates what you've just described quite well is you you kind of come into the office one morning you've you're in a bad mood you you've allowed your bad mood to influence one other person and then they kind of take that away and it just it just spreads and that's just one person interacting with a bunch of other people and it's just spread and changed the system just by you, allowing your own personal circumstance to influence everything else mm -hmm. and I remember. Um, hearing someone say the, the way they handled that is they they just they were transparent and vulnerable about it. They just admitted and said, "Look, I'm having a bad day today. I don't want to allow my bad day to influence you. So just ahead of time, if I do seem off or anything like that, it's nothing that you've done, or it's not, I don't want you to to be concerned. Like that. I'm just not I'm not my best self today. Mm. And being vulnerable about that, I think, is just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, it is. Where I was going, uh, I guess, with my, with my pre previous line of thought, and I tend to go off on tangents, um, we were talking about the systems thinking and, and I guess visualizing progress, particularly in this enterprise-wide situation when you've got teams of teams, mm -hmm. um, lots of changes happening in lots of different areas. How, or how do you and what techniques do you subscribe to to enable you to visualize progress when you are working at that kind of scale? Hmm. That is a good question. That is a very good question. There's so many elements to that because there's one is, you know, the whole topic of measurement and measures. How do you measure the benefit of and success of coaching is, is a huge topic. Um, so having a conversation with someone about that this morning and um, who's stepping into a new role and they're saying, well, how can I, as a full-time employee who's been given the opportunity to do this, how can I demonstrate after six months and a year that I am succeeding in that? Is this your the coach the coaching ROI concept? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they saw a post I put out on that last week, and I said, "Oh, maybe this is a bit timely. Let's have a chat about how I might be able to apply some of that." So we'll we'll see how she gets on over the next few months. Um, but she already had a bunch of great ideas around that. So sometimes it's just you know having saying your thoughts out loud and having having someone else say, "Yeah, that sounds sensible," is enough, isn't it? Um, yeah, sorry, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question around how, how you or what techniques you subscribe to to enable you to visualize progress. Like when you've got teams of teams, lots of systems, yeah. um, they're all interacting. There might be multiple experiments running in parallel. How, yeah. you know, what techniques do you subscribe to to enable you to track progress, whether it's yeah. positive or negative? Yeah, I think from a visualization point of view, just draw an arrow pointing up. It's, it's normally enough. Um, and the uh, same profit. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah maybe a little zigzag in it but um i think yeah i mean i'm sure you uh, a man of a similar sentiment in that data and evidence is is critical um but it how you go about getting it and what you 
try and get is important. So, you know, there's no point just gathering a shitload of data for the sake of it if it's not meaningful. And if ultimately, if it's not going to change anything, um, you know, you should only be getting data that tells you something that means you can do something as a result of it. So trying to identify that for an organization is key as early as possible. And the way best to do that is just to ask them, you know, what, why are you paying for me or us as humbles to come in and help you? What is it that you think you're going to get or that you want? And then can we come up with a way now before we even start the work of saying, what would success look like? And sometimes that's, you know, a, a number. Uh, and sometimes it's just sentiment. Um, there was, there was a, a short five question survey that I created for a small group of stakeholders. And one of the, it was just, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the best, zero being the worst. How do you think you're currently collaborating across these three areas? And how confident are you in your role in, you know, an agile environment? Some, some really simple questions, but 11 people, whatever, came back with data. And then we just sat on that, or I sat on that. Four months later, send out the same survey. And, you know, it's just people's opinion about how they personally feel. But when you look at it in comparison before and after, there is a slight increase. I'm like, great, that tells me things are going in the right direction. Um, is that because of the work I'm doing? Maybe, maybe not. I don't care. The fact is, you wanted these improvements. <laughs> You're getting these improvements somehow. So, that's that's got to be a good thing it does it does become tricky <laughs> this is what i'm learning as a as someone who's new to running their own business which is a whole different world sometimes there is more pressure to be able to evidence you know hard data evidence that i'm spending this much money and you are giving me value for that um but i think that contracting at the beginning is is critical I like the answer. Thank you. I, I subscribe to uh, kind of Spotify style health checks. I say style health checks. I don't tend to yeah. copy them exactly. But what I like about those and, and yeah. the fact the, the form or the format you've described there is it's their opinion rather than anyone else's. Right. So you've asked them to, to rate how things are going with regards to a few a few questions, just like the health check for Spotify. It's the team's opinion yeah. and you get that as a data point and you check it again quarterly or whatever time frame you choose. And then you say, well, have, we, have they improved? And if there's improvement, great. Yeah. There we go. You can see um, you can see progress. You can see a trajectory, but you can also then see, right, where are you not happy and what are you going to do next time to try and improve that situation? both at the team level yeah. within their sphere of influence, but also at the organizational level, if there are trends across multiple teams experiencing pain in the same areas, how you can then help them systemically remove those, those blockers. Yeah, That's why I like absolutely. these techniques. And you can, you can also, if you really want to, you can crunch some numbers behind it. I've been doing this recently as well. Yeah. When I first started with um, a company I'm currently working for, they had nothing like this. So I put it in place, you know, September last year, started doing it for, for all their squads. And it provided the start, your baseline, your beginning data point. And then we, we say nine months later, you've got an 80% reduction in areas that you guys have, have said are red, right? That's that's huge progress. You've got um, a 60% uh, reduction in areas that are in a downward trajectory. So things are moving in the right direction. And this is your words, not some external consultant, not anyone doing some sort of maturity model on you. It's yeah. what you guys as a team think. And that's, I think, is so powerful.
Yeah, absolutely. I love I love the Spotify health checks. I also use that all the time for teams. And there's a leadership version of that as well, which is really nice. You can do it for leadership teams and even just the experience of them doing it. Sometimes they get really kind of excited about because it's very often they don't take the time to stop and just think about how they're doing and how they're communicating with each other. And so that's it can be quite novel, actually, and get quite a good impact, um, even just doing it a couple of times. But yeah, I love it. And I think the other thing is, you know, we're talking about where things are going in an upward direction. I think the other thing you, you touched on it briefly is if something is falling off a cliff, then that is equally important. And that allows you to ask a very direct question of whoever the leadership team are or, you know, depending on how autonomous the teams are, ask the team themselves, you know, there's there's a problem here. This, you know, you're telling your your you've surfaced this problem is happening for you so what do you want to do about that because if you do nothing then nothing's going to happen <laughs> completely uh, i'm always there's there's a few certain phrases that i'm always saying and in my, my my listeners are probably going to be hearing this again and again because i say it all the time but um taking no action is a decision one of my favorite things to say right because if you are aware that something isn't quite right and you do nothing about it it's going to remain the same way you know, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change and you're probably going to be frustrated about it again anyway. There's um, mm-hmm. there's a radical level of autonomy that Tesla has in the way they do Agile um, that Joe Justice was describing. And he was saying it's built into their culture that everybody has the empowerment and authority to fix something if they see it wrong. doesn't matter if it's outside of your, your job role. doesn't matter if it's in a different department. If you see something wrong, just go and fix it. And I think that's mm. amazing. If we could build that level of empowerment and just a desire to to improve things into more more places, more teams would do very very well. Yeah, yeah. brings me and on that, to my next question. Makes, Ooh, please go ahead. It makes me very happy. Yeah, no, I just love that. I love that story. You know, the level of trust that that shows yeah. creates trust. You know, that's one of those right. self fulfilling prophecies or whatever. Yeah, just yeah, more of that. Everyone, do more of that. Mm. <laughs> So it brings me on to my next question. And another thing you are, I guess, uh, a believer in is, is saying no and the power of it. Mm. So why do you feel that people should master the ability to say no? Oh, because people take on too much. Bottom line. Yeah, people, people think they have to t- be seen to be taking on lots of stuff and that if they're really busy, it means they're really important and their job is safe. I can tell you from first-hand experience that that is bullshit. <laughs> because I was always busy. I was always taking on, putting my hand up. Yes, I'll get involved with that. Yes, I'll get involved with that. And I got fired. Um, so it's not just about your, it's about, yeah, so many things. But you, you really need to be clear with yourself about where your boundaries are. Because you can't do all of those things, probably. And you'll end up at best doing a mediocre job of a few things um, as opposed to a bloody awesome job of, you know, less stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a bit ironic me saying this because I'm one of these people who just gets involved. I still have this tendency to jump in and get involved with lots of different things. But I've had to learn over the years to those boundaries like what's my personal boundary what's the signals that i'm starting to get a bit 
anxious or overwhelmed with things and how do I then do something about that to, to reduce it but in a simple very atypical work environment there's a, just a couple of really simple things that you can do to get into the habit of saying no without even necessarily saying no and feeling bad about it but turning it into a more useful two-way conversation that that can really make a difference for not only for you but also for your relationship with your peers and with your managers um yeah it's openness on authenticity you know be authentic don't be don't be scared to say i've got too much on or if i do this it means i can't do that that's a very real conversation and you know there's no value in hiding behind this charade of i'm really busy i've got all this stuff to do and working you know 12 14 hours a day that's just not sustainable what's amazing about this to this topic in particular is, is we as agile coaches and agile professionals we we're coaching our teams to find their sustainable pace the velocity that works for them doesn't burn them out we encourage you know work in progress limits and things like that to optimize flow efficiency and so often we feel guilty about ourselves and we, we realize oh we've taken on too much and we almost need to apply that same we need to turn that mirror inwards or, mm -hmm. or onwards towards ourselves and say hang on am i taking a bit too much and, I, and what i liked about what you said there is is over time you learn uh, your triggers you you, you you become mindful of when you start to struggle a little bit when you've taken on too much and, and then when you should be able to push back and say well i could take this on but this would fall aside as a consequence you know i, mm -hmm. I i've always loved the analogy and it's the same one i use when it comes to coaching teams to find their sustainable pace i'll hold up a couple of glasses and one will be full of water and i'll just say right this is your capacity for a sprint or a time frame and i'll i'll keep pouring and i'll keep yeah. doing it until it overflows and they'll say what are you doing it's flowing everywhere so well, that's 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 what happens when you take on too much you know that is your capacity it's, it's not it's not never ending and what, i love that technique particularly um when it comes to, to management give them two coffee cups and say right that's that's a sprint that's a time frame keep pouring mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll i guarantee they'll stop before they make a mess <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and as some of them have probably seen the video with the pebbles and then the sand and then the water yeah yeah keep trying yes. to jam stuff in but yeah that's kind of missing the point the point is you have to be deliberate about the stuff that you choose to put in so that it doesn't overflow it doesn't break the glass and that it is a mixture of balance of things that do go together um yeah, I think a lot of the community of coaches that I'm um, lucky to be part of it is a very caring, nurturing bunch of people. I think that's I think that that's helpful in the work that we do. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. It's also important to stop and turn that back on yourself on a regular basis and mm. say, actually, am I am I doing too much? Am I going too fast? Am I no longer at a sustainable pace yeah love it and when it comes to that my something i've personally developed and it's something i've been doing more so over the past few years is just doing retrospectives for one solo perspective so i'm a big believer in retrospectives and yeah, there's no yeah. reason you can't do it yourself just even yeah. if it's on a, a daily journaling or a weekly basis just sit down how am i feeling you know what, what's my workload like what have i learned in the past week what do i want to try differently what's helping me move towards where i want to be what's moving me further away these mm -hmm. sorts of questions you can ask yourself and then Get it outside of your head because that's part of the problem if it's stuck yeah. inside your head you can't you can't remember exactly how you felt a week ago 
and it can just be a great way of uh, continuously improving in your own respect. And it takes five minutes. You know, on Friday afternoon, you can just look, open your calendar for the week, have a look back, what happened, what went well, um, what, yeah, what, what's missing, what am I not making enough time for? It's not just the stuff you are doing. What am I not doing? And yeah, is my diary completely crammed the whole way through? Do I want that next week? Probably not. So yeah, I, I love I love that. I'm a big fan of that. It's something I've only started doing myself recently, but yeah, I, I concur. The power of a short reflection on a regular basis is very very powerful. Which Clearly. no, again, it's ironic. We we know this stuff because we do it with teams all the time. But actually, time. yeah. To stop and do that for yourself is equally important. Very much. Right. Given the theme uh, is about of this podcast is about amplifying newer voices. Mm. Noel, who who do you think is out there that's doing great work that I should reach out to and just get involved in the show? Well, that is a good question. You've already got a, a bunch of people who I admire and I'm lucky enough to to know. Um, and again, the typical coach's answer: it depends. So if you are if you are looking for someone who is just got a beautiful story and the way that they talk about facilitation, you can tell it's just in their blood. Um, there's a guy called Francis Lallerman, um who I would recommend. Uh, he's good friends with Tobias. They've done some work together. I know you've spoken with Tobias. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes to if you're interested in coaching and coaching individuals, um, there's a lady called Kirsten Deerhoff. I can send you her name separately, but she runs a business called Solutions Academy. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to find them and do my uh, ACC and PCC training with them. And she's just consistently puts out fantastic content every week there's an email that helps you as a coach learn something new or think about something different and I think people like you who are constantly creating things and giving things to the community I just love that so yeah kudos to you all right well thank you for the recommendations (laughs) (laughs) all right final question conscious of time and it's the one about retrospective so uh, I am now, I think I'm just over 50 retrospective, 50 themed retrospectives and uh, plan to release 52 in total this year. I think this week's one will be number 28. So which new retrospective would you add to my backlog? It could be about anything. I know you mentioned Taco Tuesday. You did that one not long ago. Is there anything that is in your desire that you'd love to see a retrospective about? Yeah. Um, dogs. Dogs. So what, yeah. Something to do with like, what, what would your dog have done uh, some, okay. something about dogs there's something probably in there about dog shit so there's probably something in there about <laughs> sniffing in places you shouldn't be sniffing and <laughs> i think you can be quite playful with that yeah yeah i was um i did release a cat meme retrospective recently featuring like um you know grumpy cat was making us grumpy in the last iteration and okay. uh ceiling cat is watching you what what where are we cutting corners yeah there's all sorts of things i'm sure there's probably a, a million imagery images of dogs on the internet that i can find and convert into some sort of uh, metaphorical way of improving a team yeah. so I'll, I'll i'll work on a dog theme retrospective yeah and here's an offer for you if you want it is um, i'd be happy to pair up with you on that because i love oh that. let's do it let's co-create yeah love let's it. create one together that's even better all right I will count that count that as, as done. That's happening. Okay. Any 
final thoughts to share with any of the listeners from you now? No, I think, well, yes. So no, but it doesn't work. So, <laughs> yes, I would say um, something that's really helped me over the last few years in my career, and especially in facilitation, which I think is something we do a lot as coaches, uh, as, as team coaches, is to make sure that you're always considering the people and the team that you are facilitating something for and remind yourself that what you're doing, the role you're playing is for them. And sometimes that means letting go. Well, often it, it should mean that you are letting go of your control and that can be hard and I've struggled with that. But if you can learn to really step back and you know, let go of that control and really empower the group to do more things for themselves and you just become the guide, that is truly liberating. All right. Wonderful sentiment to leave us on. Thank you very much for sharing your, your knowledge and experiences, Noel. It's been a pleasure to have, have you on the show. And uh, to all of the listeners, don't stop believing. <laughs> you should sing that as the outro. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.